Welcome to Lions Watch, everybody. Your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Vidushina Hantaraja. As England's 33-man provisional squad meet for the first time today ahead of the Euros, we look at why Gareth Southgate delayed the announcement of his final squad and discuss the challenges facing the England manager over the next week. We also speak to former England head of physiotherapy, Gary Lewin, who knows a thing or two about preparing for major tournaments. And we revisit England's battles with Belgium in the Nations League last winter. Well, that was the worst performance I've ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Well, well, well. Vish is in the chair. Luke's not here, but Vish, you've stepped up. My goodness. You were on the standby list and uh, you've slotted in. Is this how it works? <laughs> right, OK. Luke's okay. not injured. He um, has just retired from international football. <laughs> yeah, for a week. <laughs> for international podcast, yeah. I've got a feeling, though, we'll talk him out of that uh, next week. But Vish, a blooming pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very excited. Just the announcement of the team has got yes. me, or rather the squad has got me excited. So to be here with you as well is just another step <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the ladder <laughs> on the ladder glory. to rules European Championship glory but it is exciting time because the, the squad the, the provisional squad with the provisional squad we need to, to, to um, reiterate has been announced 33 players I mean it's quite a lot isn't it obviously because of the 26 squad we're used to 23s and then maybe having say 5 or, or so players um, but Gareth Southgate he revealed um, the squad last Tuesday of course that the squad will be trimmed down to 26 on Tuesday uh, the 1st of June but on naming those 33 players Southgate did say our preference was to name 26 but we have not got an ideal hand of cards um, he said England's situation is more complicated than any other country because of injuries and unknowns and of course the European finals as well um, he did lament uh, the, the, the shortage of information over particular players um, and naming Harry Maguire and said I don't know if he's fit for tomorrow or fit for three months time which is not ideal considering I think most people have got him down as a starter for England. Jordan Henderson is another grey area. Uh, I mean, Southgate seems quite upbeat about his prospects. And then uh, Jack Grealish is also uh, recovering with a, a long-term injury, but has played recently. What are your thoughts on this, Fish? Because Maguire in particular, he is a starter. I think if Jordan Henderson doesn't play, or doesn't play in the early rounds, say, see how, how, how we go, there's cover there. But the centre-back options for England you suddenly think ooh that does it does look a little bit light yeah absolutely Harry Maguire was a player that I think some England fans had to convince themselves that he was the right man mm. and I think a lot of that was aided by the fact that they didn't seem I suppose someone to push him out of the side as it were Yeah. so then to lose him you know down to the fact that <laughs> Okay, part of the reason we had our faith in you is because we knew mm. there was nothing really behind you. So for him to be mm. in doubt is, yeah, obviously a huge deal. And I think even with the emergence of, of John Stones alongside Ruben Diaz, you know, obviously Harry Maguire is not like Ruben Diaz, but 
carries a lot of the same characteristics, which, mm. as Luke has said before, is just someone who shouts at uh, you know his, his partner <laughs> yeah. and says, "Stand here, don't do that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do more of this. Do mm. less of that. So, um, can yeah, we get an earpiece a... for John Stone? We, yes, we could. Yeah, <laughs> you mean like Father Ted, where you can control him? <laughs> maybe that instead. Maybe not quite that. I reckon is that against the rule? Do you think there's an actual rule written where no, you can't have any kind of. Uh audio aid in, in that kind of sense I wonder maybe they could just hold up a big whiteboard with just you know directions <laughs> aimed at uh, John uh, Stones yeah, but yeah no, he definitely a, needs another distraction John yes, Stones yes of course yeah yeah. <laughs> but no it's, it's definitely a huge deal certainly something that I'm a bit more worried about for England's sake than Jordan Henderson even though you know Henderson hasn't mm. played since I think the middle of February it's been a long time it's been a long time I mean it's it's funny you get close to the tournament and because we play fantasy football in our heads with these plays oh he'll go there and we'll play him there and and that'll be that and suddenly you get close and you suddenly say oh hang on there's a more sort of human element to this perhaps than than one uh than one remembers in the excitement of trying to pick squads and first 11s and, and, and whatnot. Only 21 players will meet on Saturday today. Um, the Manchester United players involved are expected to arrive on Tuesday uh, and the Manchester City-Chelsea players are due on Friday the 4th. Southgate giving them time to, to rest and sort of decompress um, after that, that Champions League final, of course. I mean, that's an interesting one because Southgate stressed this week that picking up the players emotionally straight after the 2019 Champions League final when 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 Liverpool played mm. Spurs, of course, um, ahead of the Nations League's Nations League finals, which was a far less demanding and pressured uh, tournament than than this, he said it was very very difficult whether they'd won or lost, and that's a fascinating thing because you would think the players who won would sort of march their way in, but I suppose that game is essentially like a World Cup final or a European Championship final in the sense of the scrutiny, the um, the pressure, how the managers will play. It is. It, it might. Then, understandably, the European Championships, at least initially, can feel a bit like after the Lord Mayor's show. Yeah, it's fascinating. He's he's articulated that, and I suppose it's something that only someone who has had the job for as long as he had mm. will recognise. Yes, and especially that it's coincided with you know two English teams, mm -hmm. or rather, you know, Liverpool in the Champions League final the season before Liverpool mm -hmm. and Spurs. Um, Contested last year, uh, sorry, the Champions League final in 2019. Of, in 2019, yeah. yeah. So he ha he has a good gauge on on how they'll mm -hmm. come back, and I suppose what he'll need to do to lift certain players and to I suppose to calm down the others mm -hmm. while also getting them a decent amount of rest. And it's interesting because Southgate um, has said privately that he he's not a fan of the 26 man squad. Yeah. And the reason for that is because it makes managing personnel a lot harder. Mm. More people are going to be idly sitting around doing not much. Yeah. It can be quite a dispiriting place to be. And no doubt, given the, the, given the COVID protocols, as someone who covers a lot of cricket, there's been a, mm -hmm. a lot of talk about this, about being in bubbles and mm. biosecure environments and the toll that takes on mentality. And he was, he was very worried about that. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to me as someone who, who does genuinely think about these things, not someone who... who while he while he is worried about it, he's coming up with solutions, mm. and it'll be interesting to see how they how they fare. And that's no doubt why we have this bigger thirty three man squad because they've got that game against Romania on uh, on the Saturday. You know, next mm -hmm. next Saturday, uh, yeah, sixth of June, yeah, and then Austria again on the second of June. Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So there are you know, and he'll have to cover for potential knocks um, that come off the back of these games. Mm. Yeah, we still don't know. You know, Marcus Rashford, for example, from the Europa League final, mm -hmm. looked in strife at the end there. I know mm -hmm. emotionally he was, you know, um, 
pretty badly knocked, but he was talking about his shoulder, he was talking about his foot, mm-hmm. and that'll be that's another thing that came up that I thought, well, you, I mean, he spoke very well, but I was like, okay, this is a man who's clearly struggling, and how mm-hmm. much do you have to mitigate for his injury now as well? Yeah. Certainly, the issues that he's feeling. So, um, to me, the thirty-three man squad made sense. And it's, I mean, it makes the whole, it just makes his job a bit harder further down the line. It does, yeah. But it's, it's. I think it was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, I, th- I suppose it's a, it's a tricky one because normally you would have a 23, as I say, and then standby players. So everybody kind of knows literally where they stand uh, with that. Whereas this is a trickier one because he has to call up some of these players. Now, there are a few names that, that leap to mind. You would say maybe Ben Godfrey and Ben White would be obvious ones. They've played well, and um, well done to them for getting in the squad, first and foremost. But they perhaps would have been a bit surprised. Um, oh, by the way, the Guardian reported that um, Eberechieze was apparently called up, but he'd um, he'd injured his Achilles in uh, in training. You'd have bloody loved that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh. You're a big fan. I am a big fan, yeah. I apparently yeah. found out and there's, and there's not much he... competition for where he wants to play for him. Well, no, this is the thing. <laughs> I, I, I think he is, he's opened yeah. the door for Jack Grealish. <laughs> okay. You know, Mason Mount, yes. Phil Foden. There you go. I'm not going to lie. I think Kane's resting a little bit easier now. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a, yeah, a real blow. I mean, yeah. I, I think he would have been the ones that would have been cut mm-hmm. at the first cut of this particular sure. broader squad. But... Yes, yeah, I think well, I think he found out as soon as he walked off the field. He did. Well, that, yeah. that, I mean, it is a shame. I mean, Southgate did say that some of these players that have been called up, he said they'll have a great couple of weeks. Yeah. And and I don't think that's patronising at all. I think it's right. I think one or two. We've mentioned two names there. And there'll be one or two others as well who will think, "Blimey, this is a bonus," and and it just gives them a little taste of the biscuit. Um, but but I, I this is is less clear cut than as we say twenty three players and then five standby, whatever it would be. Because of that final, because of the Europa League final, because you know if if Reece James gets uh, an injury and Carl Walker gets an injury, well then Trent Alexander Arnold's in. Now we're not going to talk about right backs this time specifically, but but you know you you have to cover yourself here. Um, I, I just wonder though that taking going with regards to say twenty six players, when he took twenty three to Russia as everybody did, he was very good at making everybody feel part of yeah. it. Yeah, and that is a challenge. To then have three more players, because in a twenty-three man squad, really your two subkeepers are not really going to play, barring injury. And you'll probably have again, depending on how the groups go. Because if you do have a dead rubber like England did against Belgium, you can play a lot of uh, uh, second-string players if you like, which they did. But unless it goes that way, you will perhaps have say seven or eight players who also kind of know they won't play. Yeah. As well, or maybe five who won't who who will know that they won't play. To try and keep them happy is very, very difficult. And you then are now adding three more to that list. It is a tricky ask. Or yeah. task, rather. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very tricky. Not least because, and I've realised this this might sound a bit self-indulgent because it's a journalist talking about journalism. But, <laughs> but I think there is there, there certainly has been a worry in previous England camps whereby the idle players are the most talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily straight to journalists, but perhaps yeah. to agents, perhaps to people back home mm-hmm. who then turn up as sources in newspapers and mm-hmm. things like that. But I think what Southgate has done over the last couple of years, and pr- maybe what not a lot of people have seen, because it's not something that is necessarily interesting to the public, is that he's gone out of his way to make media engagements that little bit easier. I think before the 2018 World Cup, England did a really smart thing of basically having much like I don't I don't know if you're an NFL fan, but this is when they went to Devon. 
on the moors or wherever no, it was. No, no, no. Oh, so, sorry, so sorry. this was like... So, oh, the press. Yeah, Jonathan Northcross spoke about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. Yep. So he was just like, you know, everyone's in a room. Yes. Chat to whoever you want. Yeah. You know, go up and, and have a chat to anyone. Mm. Like, everything's, you know, might be embargoed here and there, but just like have fun with it. Mm. And it was great. But it also just cut out that sense of one working against the other. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, if, there's, if, if a story comes up that... Um, might do down England's chances. You know, we can talk about the journalistic integrity mm-hmm. and the, and the merit, I suppose, of that. But I think by, you know, what what he has done is, as I said, you know, just made it a bit sleeker. The issue then becomes: then would you are you going to have the wear of the wall as a player to think mm. extended squad? Of course, this I'm less likely to play than this, if this yeah. was a 23. Maybe I wouldn't even be here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot to ask of a, of a professional footballer, yeah. to be fair, to, mm-hmm. to be thinking like that. Because mm. um, you almost think, well, if you if you do think like that, are you really the right person to be there? Should mm. you really not be fighting for your place? But the other, the interesting flip side of that, though, is I know we're not going to talk about the right back situation specifically, but I, I spoke to Rob Green in the week mm. and we talked about the 2010 World Cup. And mm. I don't know if you remember, but in the lead up to that 2010 World Cup, Fabio Capello was reticent to name a number one goalkeeper. Yeah. And his thing was basically, I'm going to throw the gloves on the ground. They fight for it. Whoever emerges over training, over whatever, as the standout candidate is going to play that first game. And Green said it was one of the worst things he could have done. Yeah. Because the the way, and specifically this is for goalkeepers, but the way it works is, you know, you need to know that you're the number one yeah. so you can prepare for it yeah, a certain yeah, way. Yeah. And you need that camaraderie of the other people around well, you Capello, to help you. Didn't he, I mean, he would sometimes name his squad. Uh, he's starting 11 like an hour or two before kickoff kind of thing. And I and I just think yeah, as into the players, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I just I just don't think that's a wise thing with this thirty-three man uh, provisional squad. We know that seven players are going to drop out of it, whether that's through injury or you know, Southgate's um, preference, all that kind of stuff. So to try and kind of drill down on, on who that will be, obviously one of the goalkeepers will, will probably be Aaron Rams, though you you would think uh, the defenders. One of those right backs could be two, but maybe just one of those right backs uh, will will miss out. At least one, maybe two, but probably uh, Ben Godfrey and Ben White. Perhaps they'll 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 miss out. That would be this, the 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 easy money would suggest them. Midfield option, it's trickier when you when you start to pick there. Andy Brassel certainly on the Patreon the other the other day said that he felt it might be Jesse Lingard, which would be a shame. But yeah. you know, I don't like to think that Jesse's not going to make it. Well, just because just based on what we were talking about earlier about the the squad dynamic, I think I, I wondered if maybe Lingard's personality and, and his drive yeah. w- would get him there because I think he's someone you could probably leave to himself to know that he has you know he's good at seeing the bigger picture. He knows it's for the team and and might mm-hmm. be and an recently has just re- rejuvenated his what, y- career. Yeah, say, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And maybe also would would you see the bigger picture within the fact that it's not about me, it's about the team. I've yeah. been part of this before. Mm-hmm. I know how it takes all of us to come together. Whereas someone new in that position yeah. might feel a bit sorry for themselves. All right, Lingard's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> Mind you, if, if you've got to like, say, as we said about maybe four or five players who kind of know that they probably won't play or they're a bit disgruntled, Southgate will you know, turn up trying, where, where are they? Oh, don't worry. Jesse's got them. Yeah. They've struck up the band. They're having a lovely time. They're they blow, make, they've blown up the unicorns. Yeah, they're, they're making the record for the final. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, and then forwards, um, the, the three that I've highlighted, I think two, maybe all three might not go. I was thinking Saka, who again, would be happy for him. To, I'd be happy for all these players to be in the squad, but you've got to choose somebody. So I think Saka, Watkins and Greenwood might miss out. I think Watkins is a nailed on to miss out for okay. me. Okay. Um, injury permitting, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Saka, he's uh, 
you know, a word that um, Southgate has used a lot in the last week has been versatility. Yeah. And Saka was one of those players he highlighted with that versatility to play off both wings and also left wing back, which is, you know, incredibly important um, position to play in, in formations that we'll go on to talk about later in the show, actually. Um, Mason Greenwood, though, I think he has that X factor. Mm-hmm. Specifically in front of goal, you know, dissimilar to the kind of X factor we talk about when we when we speak of Foden and Grealish, for example, but he has that kind of shift and shoot element to his game yeah. where he can hang out wide. You can throw him on, and you know that mm. he has that killer instinct. That I I wonder if he'll be tempted to take him, and I wonder if Greenwood is going to be the outright beneficiary of twenty six instead of twenty three. Actually, interesting, interesting. Well, this season has been more physically taxing than ever before. And Southgate does have uh, a lot of injuries to contend with. I spoke to former England head of physiotherapy, Gary Lewin, to find out more about the challenges of preparing for a major tournament. Gary, we have seen England go into tournaments with players who are carrying injuries or working their way back to fitness. Gareth Southgate has picked his 33-man provisional squad. He's had to make some big calls with regards to this. Now, obviously, injuries can vary and every injured player is different in terms of importance, um, the history of injuries, their body makeup and so on. But what indicators are you looking for? to advise on giving the green light to a player who still may be slightly injured or still working their way back to fitness? Well, I think the first indicator is what have they done at their club in the last two months of the season? And that's something that the current medical staff, Dr. Williams and um, Steve Kemp and Simon Spencer would have been in contact with the club throughout the last couple of months. They would have been given a large provisional squad that they would have had to monitor in the end of the season. So, they would know the playing times. They would know what players have got certain conditions and certain problems. Um, and then following the last game of the season, the weekend, they would report you back to, to Gareth on what players were carrying what uh, injuries. Then it's a case of working out, okay, they don't influence Gareth's squad. So he would know in his head with his coaching staff who he would like in the squad. But out of his probably his 26 that he wanted, he would know how many of those um, were carrying injuries that could affect their participation in in, in the, uh, the tournament. The complicating factor, and we had this once before, um, they've got an all-English Champions League final and they've got a third team in the Europa League final. So they've also got two competitive games to go of which they could pick up further injury. So I think... What he's done today is really pick a squad that will contain his basic 26 that he wants. He'll know what they are. Um, he won't give that away because obviously in case any of those don't make it. Um, <laughs> well, the journalists tried, but they failed with that. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, and then a backup seven players that may be needed if any of the main 26 don't make it through injury that occurs in the next two games. Or injuries that they've had for a while. I see that Harry Maguire has been carrying an ankle injury. Um, he hasn't played at all. Um, I see Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice have come back from injury. Um, would any of those things affect his final squad that he has announced? I think it's on June the 1st. So there's a lot of components that make up this scenario. 
Well, take Jordan Henderson, for example. He hasn't played since February and is a player who really relies on his incredible work rate and energy. I'm sure you had similar situations when you were England physio. Would you be concerned about a player who hasn't played a competitive match for that long going into a tournament? Well, let's put it into context. He'll be fresh. Uh, um, you've got two friendly matches pre-tournament you're planning to win it see if you're planning to win it I think it's six games um, seven games sorry I forgot the the qualifying game so seven games Um, so you've got six weeks before the final touching on seven weeks if I said to you cold you're taking a player that hasn't played for two or three months you've got seven weeks to get him at his peak fitness for the final six games to do it leading up to the final you would say well what's wrong with that that's quite normal um obviously the third game in is a competitive game so what will be going through their heads is first of all will they be fit enough and good enough to start the first game if not how quickly can they catch up to speed without having regular games um, and thirdly, if you're looking to win it, is it someone that could come into the quarterfinal onwards and do a job that you want them to do? Uh, those sort of questions you can't really answer until you've got them in camp and you take a look at them in training, you get their data from training, you get their GPS measurements from training, you talk to them as a person. They're experienced footballers. They know how much more is needed to get them fully fit. Mm-hmm. So I think, and from experience tells me that what we've done for previous tournaments in that you include them and then make your decision as you go along. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've been to European Championships and World Cups, of course, with England. How, how intense did you personally find the pressure to get things right? You have the, the, the media pressure and, uh, and whatnot. I mean, did you ever feel pressure to rush a, pl- a player back from injury, for example? Never felt pressure to rush a player back, but mm-hmm. you, you live in a goldfish bowl. So every mm-hmm. decision, probably, the, I would say probably the most frustrating part for me was you don't have any right of reply. <laughs> and uh, some of the stuff that you read and hear, um, it, it, it would widen you up because I'm, people were sure. passing comment on injury mm-hmm. and they don't even know exactly what the injury is. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a, bit, it's a bit like saying a knee injury is a knee injury is a knee injury. Well, they're all completely different. Um and all the players that are coming back from injury, Declan Rice, Jordan Henderson, Harry Maguire, every case is an individual case. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one great example of, of, of the planning of it. Now, before the Brazil World Cup, we went to Miami and we took a squad to Miami. Um, the league had finished two weeks before. So players that had been left back in the UK hadn't trained for two to three weeks, hadn't played a game for three weeks. We went to Miami and um, I'm not going to any secrets here. This was well documented in the papers. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain injured his knee. We felt that he was going to be out for three weeks. That meant we were going to Brazil with a player that probably wouldn't play in two of the three, possibly three of the group games. So the decision we make is, do we take him and treat him and get him ready for the last 16 playoff in the quarterfinal? Or do we bring another player in halfway across the world that hasn't trained for three weeks, played a game for three weeks? We've got to get up to speed in a squad of 23 players. So there's a chance that 
that 23rd player may not even get a kick of a ball anyway. And also you have personal uh, relationships within that as well. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, uh, Alex had been part of the preparation, the philosophy planning, the day-to-day planning. He was in the group with all the other players. Um, I don't think you understand how demoralising it can be when players leave a squad through injury. Um I mean, the, the famous one I remember was when um, Danny Murphy broke his foot in um, Korea um, leading up to the Japan. Trevor Sinclair was on his way home because he'd been released right, from the yeah. And before he landed in England, we'd yeah. get the message over to say, don't let him unpack his bag. Yeah, he's, he's coming straight yeah. back again. He did a U-turn at the airport, didn't exactly. he? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, these things happen. Um, we had it with Rio Ferdinand in South Africa who, who got injured in the first training session. And uh, we had to fly, um, I think it was Michael Dawson, I think we flew out, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so th- these things happen. Um, and th- it all comes into the overall picture. What I would just say again is the manager is planning to win this tournament in the final in seven weeks' time. He is probably going to take a couple of gambles on players that may not be 100% fit. And I, the question you ask yourself, are you better off taking a, a very experienced professional player who's been to previous tournaments, who knows what it's like, he's good around the squad, or do you take a youngster who'll be great experience for him, but the chances of you actually playing him are greatly reduced by the lack of experience? Now, I'm not saying which one's wrong or right. Everyone can have their own <laughs> argument over that. But that's what's going to come into the thinking process. Mm. You mentioned, obviously, the Champions League final and the Europa League final earlier. Uh, England have players that will go to the Euros who are, yeah. who are playing their game. We mentioned names, of course. Um, yeah. How will they go about making sure those players are refreshed but ready to go in between those matches and the first group game of the tournament? And again, this really is... the where the camp, the pre-tournament camp is so, so crucial. Mm. And in previous tournaments, we would go with 23 players. And I would describe it as having 23 individuals that are, are at 23 different levels of physical fitness, physical fatigue, mental fitness and mental fatigue. And you've got to make a cocktail that each of them like and gets them up to the same level. So I think it's June the 13th against Croatia is the first game. When they get to that first game, they're on a level par. Everyone is ready to go. And that's why you're now seeing so many backroom staff travel with the team, so many support staff travelling with the team, because although it's a team sport, it's also become very individualised. And Gareth will be working on team shape, team play, players understanding their their roles in the squad and in the team. But also the support staff, the fitness coaches, the sports scientists, the psyches, the medical staff, they'll be individually preparing those players to get them all ready at the same time. And that, that is an art. That is the most difficult thing. Yeah. Would you be concerned about injuries for, for England players going into the tournament, considering the topsy-turvy nature of the season due to the pandemic? Always. I, I mean, I was always concerned about it anyway, because people argue that we play the same number of games in England as they do in Spain and they do in Italy and they do in France and Germany. I would argue back they don't play 
38 games at the intensity that we play in England over that same period of time. You've argued for a winter break before, haven't you? I've argued mm. for many, many years. I first put the case forward when Sven was a manager. Mm. And uh, I, I, I think it's it's a necessary thing if we're going to succeed at international level. Mm. With the matches coming thick and fast, the need to prepare for the next match, also recover from the previous game in tournaments. What, what does... If this is a fair question, the average player's recovery process looks like. Are we talking sort of ice baths, you know, time yeah. off, all this all this sort of stuff? So, again, it's split into two. You've got the players that aren't playing that you need to top up their fitness and get them ready without overtraining them so they're fatigued going into the next game if they're needed. And you've got the players that play. What they would have done by now, and they, they would have done this in the planning, they would have got a recovery strategy put in place. And there's many, many ways of doing this. Um, you're talking about uh, soft tissue therapy. You're talking about ice baths. You're talking about low-level um, cardiac recovery. You're talking about compression garments, whether it be inflatable garments or compression clothes. You'll be talking about nutrition, hydration, sleep. Um, and what they would have done as a, as a backroom staff, they would have discussed this in great detail and then they would have come up with discussions with the club medical staff to know what the players do at their clubs. Because it's very important the players are comfortable with this. Um, and then they would have come up with a recovery strategy that they're going to take into the tournament. Um, I mean, the, the funny thing that came out of Russia was the uh, the, the the dragons in the swimming pool. Um, I mean, we'd been doing... Re- they were, they were unicorns, Gary. Let's unicorns, right sorry. Unicorns. I'll get that right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised I hadn't thought of it before. Um uh, we'd been doing pool recoveries for donkey years, but they just put a twerk into it, which made it more fun. <laughs> and, and and that's what you need to do. And so the recovery becomes part of their daily life, part of their fun, part of their mental approach mm-hmm. to the game. And that's what they would have been thinking through. And that's what they would have been discussing. And before the, the, the squad get together, all these strategies would have been put in place. Recovery strategy, nutrition strategy, hydration strategy, their training strategy, Everything would have been pre-planned. Gary, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, been a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Now let's move on to a, a very famous foot. And to help Wayne Rooney's fitness battle for this summer's World Cup, some fans have set up a dedicated website to helping the England star recover from the broken metatarsal. Well, fans from all over the world can send their get well soon messages. So let's take a look at some of them. Right, everybody, it's time for England's evolution. This week, we're looking back on England's latest UEFA Nations League qualification campaign, which came late last year. And in particular, their two reunions with Belgium. Now, England's qualification campaign for the Euros had been successful. They won seven out of eight. Southgate's side seemed to be playing more on the front foot with a 4-3-3 formation, but the Nations League finals in 2019 was still in the back of the mind as England went into their 2020-2021 UEFA Nations League qualifying group. Started with a 1-0 win against Iceland, bit of a boring one, quite fortunate to be honest with the missed penalty, uh, but they got through it. Then they went to Denmark and drew 0-0. This was, I think it was the first time that Southgate deployed a 3-4-3 formation and he seemed wary of England's vulnerability at the back against better teams, but didn't want to disrupt the attacking talent in the side and lose an attack. And he was aware of this going into the World Cup, we spoke about that, hence 3-5-2. But really, England had suddenly got more players on the flanks and people were quite excited by this. And we talked about that game against Seville, uh, Seville uh, in Seville, sorry, against Spain when the England front three looked great. 
And he thought, oh, okay, I do quite like that. So he didn't want to lose an attacker, aware of the defensive frailty. So went for a 3-4-3. It was a dull game, clearly used an experiment. Calvin Phillips made his debut in the centre of the pitch. Connor Cody um, also played in that game as well. So a couple of new faces for England. Now in the home match against Belgium, England won 2-1, playing a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1, if you like, with, with Walker Dyer and Maguire at the back, Mason Mount and Marcus Rashford in advanced positions ahead of Henderson Rice with Calvert-Lewin up top. Uh, what was your thinking about this sort of 3-4-3 when Southgate first introduced it? Did you kind of understand it? Did you get excited or you were a bit wary? Because I personally was a bit wary. I think I was a little bit wary. Um, I, th- I think a lot of that was to do with my own tactical naivety about it. I think I've always been a fan of 4-3-3 given England's talent, really. And, yeah. and I, I always tend to focus more on what England can do rather than what they can't. Mm-hmm. And I've always... If I was a boxer, I'd be an absolute state. Because I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, you know... <laughs> You can hit me, but I'm going to hit you. I'm going to try and hit you twice. Or just one more than you. Are you a bit Kevin Keegan about it? I'm a little bit Kevin Keegan about yeah. it. Yeah. Some of my favourite boxers, Arturo Gatti, for example, are counter punchers. Mm. And you can see the state of their faces. Mm. You know, it's, it's <laughs> not exactly, you know, it's not great living to be had. Mm. And so for that very reason, I always thought that any kind of, you know, the thing you lose with a 3 4 th- that I saw that you would lose from a 3 4 3 mm. is, I suppose, the ability of those two forward-thinking wide men mm. to drift and mm. to swap mm. and to come inside. And then I saw it in execution. Mm-hmm. And granted, it wasn't, it, you know, this wasn't a particularly great game and it wasn't a particularly convincing game. Bear in mind that Belgium could have legitimately been 2 up by the time they were 1-0 up. Mm. But I did think, oh, I could see what he was getting at. And a lot of that was to do with the fullbacks we had at our disposal. Mm-hmm. And um, I... With Trippier starting on the left yep. wing as he did in this uh, in the in this first Belgian game, I, I thought that was a little bit too conservative. Rather than um, you know, it, it was obviously the circumstances dictated that he mm-hmm. that he had to. But I, I wondered if this was simply a way of justifying five at the back mm. without expressly saying five at the back. No, I, I I do know what you mean, and I think that. I think what happened was is that Belgium just pressurised England. They couldn't get out of their half for, for periods of the first half. And England went in at one all because they got a penalty towards the end of the first half. And I, I understand England won the game. and You don't want to be sort of two down. But this is just my realistic uh, uh, sort of summary of, of the match. Belgium, to me, just they showed a lot more nous during the game and a lot more tactical innovation and you could see that they have the players to play that formation because I think De Bruyne plays on the left of a front three but you know that he drifts and he goes all over mm. the place Lukaku is the way he plays up front is 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 conducive and I think that's it they have players that are conducive for the system you know when you have uh, a player like say Tielemans I can't remember if he played that one he certainly played in the second one he did play this one yeah yeah England don't really have a central a central midfielder like him per se and I think unless you have really dominant central midfielders, it's quite difficult to play this. And and that's my problem is when England always used to play the sort of four four two, they get lost and outplassed in that central midfield. And England to me always need a three in the centre. And I understand the 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 worries about the defence, but to me they just couldn't get the ball forward. Yeah. So you so you actually you cannibalise that front three because it's it's quite difficult. Now in the second half they improved. They England showed a bit of nous and character in the second half. They then they did make the midfield a little bit more compact to try and do that. And and so that was a that was a 
a positive from the game that Southgate did slightly adapt it and they slightly fortunate winner but they went on to win the game mm-hmm. uh, that was from Mason Mount and this was at the time when people were not sure about Mason Mount if you remember they were saying oh, he's keeping Grealish out the side and sort of seemed to hold, hold Mason Mount personally responsible for that as if he was the manager or something yes <laughs> yeah. yeah but then in the second game we saw them both play in the in the loss uh, away to Belgium and again England it was that 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3 with me, Grealish and Mount both starting uh, either side of Kane up top. Eric Dyer again in the centre of defence because didn't make the 33-man squad. Rice and Henderson in midfield, Chilwell and Trippier down the flanks. England were 2-0 down after 25 minutes. Tielemann scored, slight deflection, still went in, and then Mertens with a free kick. So it's not like England were undone necessarily. But the fact is they were 2-0 down and Belgium looked very comfortable. And in the second half of this game, England dominated possession and after the game... Some people seem to think that there was a moral victory for England, whereas actually, yes, they did keep the ball sometimes and Grealish had some lovely flicks and he he played well in Southgate, um, personally singled him out for some praise. There was the the clip of him flicking it. Was it past Castagna, I think? Might have been. Um, Well, I don't think Castagna played. It was was past someone... Mm. And I, I think I just watched that for the rest of the second half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it was glorious, don't yeah. get me wrong. But it didn't put England a goal to, the, you know, less behind. Correct, If yes. you understand what I'm trying yeah, to say yeah. there. Didn't make it 2-1. And Belgium, to me, probably looked more likely to get a third rather than England opening their account that night. So it, it flattered to deceive a little bit. And again, there was a criticism came in for the formation that seemed to leave England a little bit short in the centre of midfield and actually lacking creativity. And I was concerned that Southgate might go forth with this position. Yeah. So you you do you think this formation is something that he should leave in the Nations League? I do actually. Okay, because one one of the things I, I totally agree with your assessment about it. I think England were allowed to play in that second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and they impressed. We got a good little viral clip from it, which is mm-hmm. all, you, all you can want from modern football. Yeah. <laughs> but I quite, I know this isn't the point of a formation, mm-hmm. but I quite like the fact that it was very easy to switch it up mm-hmm. with one substitute, whether I think it was Calvert-Lewin came on from Mount mm-hmm. to give some England something a bit different. I think... The way that Sancho came on for Trippier and was able to fulfill that role in a more attacking sense. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the balance of it switched. I think when we... So from that first game, Belgium sort of played an identical formation to England. Yeah. And the one thing I remember from it was Carrasco, who scored a goal that was disallowed at the Wembley game. Mm-hmm. They had an understanding whereby they would shift... When they were shifting in certain directions, suddenly the formation, as you saw it, from side on was completely different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it looked like they had four at the back. Sometimes it looked like they had four in the middle. Yeah. And I thought England in that second half did that quite well. Okay. Okay. Now that's a fair point. So I, I sound a bit like I'm, uh, uh, you know, managing a lower league side in the 90s. So yes, you, you, you are right because actually to say they shouldn't do that formation, they should stick to this and that's the that's often been England's problem. You can't be, you know, just play 4-4-2 four, four, in straight lines. Yeah. So, well, don't play four three three in straight lines as well. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I, and I sort of yeah. I, so I should sort of edit my 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 sort of point there is that I don't think England should start with a three four three and be too prescriptive on that. I think if there is a problem defensively, 
Carl Walker or Reese James or whoever it may be that's that it's there. But but certainly those two players can play in a back three and provide something down the flank as well. They've got the pace and the, the yeah. industry to get themselves out of it. And that is handy. Um, but actually, if you were going to be more prescriptive, if you will, I actually prefer a 3-5-2 than a 3-4-3. And people say, oh, but you, but you lose the... Yeah, but if you remember in the World Cup, it was Deli Alley and Jesse Lingard who were in that midfield three who he got performances out of. You could have, say, Mason Mount and maybe even someone like Phil Foden you know, I think that when we think about a player like Phil Foden or Grealish, they're not like wingers. They're not just hugging the touchline all the time and crossing it. They're a bit more versatile. And so they, they mitigate for the loss of one further up top for exactly. an, extra defender, an extra central defender as well. Yeah, were. exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. So who would be your one alongside Kane or nearest to Kane in that regard? Well, I think Sterling's worked well with him Yeah. Uh, at times. But then you could also, again... You don't have to play a symmetrical formation. I understand we, we spoke about would you have Sancho or Sterling up there. You could say to Sancho, you get a bit tight to the game, but you brush off onto the right if that's what you prefer. And then you say to one of your shuttlers, whether it's Grealish, Foden or whoever it may be, Mount, you know, you, you have a bit more room on the left. And the left wing back, you could bring on whoever it may be. You've got a little bit more license. Again, it doesn't have to be symmetrical. So what I think with that specific formation is mm-hmm. that it gives you license to have more attacking wing-backs, which on the right side isn't necessarily a problem, mm. but in the left makes me think that you could, given the opposition, risk a Saka instead of a Chilwell. Yeah. But then I think I, I think given, those, given who those three centre-backs will be, mm-hmm. I'm wary that you then need defensive cover mm-hmm. in which case you're telling Declan Rice to to sit and shield which is a position he doesn't actually do mm. much for West Ham he, he's very much the closest England have to a Tielemans mm-hmm. really yeah. um, and more in a driving sense rather than a, in a passing sense he's someone who can he will, he will take you 10 yards which might seem an inconsequential 10 yards mm-hmm. but get you into an opponent's half whereas Tielemans can do that and also do the passing aspect as well mm-hmm. And I, yeah, so that's my only concern with sure. that. If, if you're going to have, uh, and I agree with you, if mm. you're going to have Mount and Foden mm-hmm. as the two mitigating for that one, the lack of one top wide man. Mm-hmm. Top wide man, yeah. coming to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I mean, look, it's, it, it's funny because as we're now talking about games that are, are, are directly uh, relevant, if you like, to this squad. Whereas in England's evolution, we've talked about, yeah, we yeah. went all the way back to, what was it, 2010? I think we started with Hodgson and so on. Even World Cup 2018 seems a little while away in the, in the UEFA Nations League. This is now, these players came into this squad. This is what we're talking about. And this is the, this is the conundrum for Southgate. But I feel that the 3-4-3, I think he perhaps, in terms of starting with that position, has left that um, behind, I think, as we will talk about next week in, 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 in England's evolution, he seems to have gone right. Actually, I think it is a 4-3-3 that I'm going to go for. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I wouldn't be disappointed in that. I think that is my standout for this, for this group of players yeah. as well. And that, and that group in the Nations League, slightly disappointing. I, th- I think it was more finishing third behind Denmark on the head-to-head, uh, not, not beating them over two games. But a big positive, though, came in England's final group match against Iceland, winning 4-0 it wasn't that long ago that was when Phil Foden scored his first goals for England and immediately looked comfortable in an England shirt and now again not that long ago we're now saying well, he's, he's one of the first names on the team sheet some people would say yeah yeah absolutely I've just remembered Bellingham as well by the way oh yeah Jude Bellingham <laughs> I've been touting for him as a starter as well yeah get them can we have a 
26 man squad, 13 man starting lineup. I think that's how it works. That should yeah. be how it works. Uh-huh. If well, they really, really care. We'll try and nip a 12th one on. Yeah. See if well, they at least do that. Yeah. yeah we can yeah, get yeah. Bellingham and, and Foden in the same coat. <laughs> like in the same warm up coat. Yeah. That'll be fine. Easy. Easy. Yeah. You just got to be careful when you go. You got to quickly jump back into the coat. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just go on raids. <laughs> It might hold them back, but they're, they're quality players. I wouldn't put it past them. They'll find it, a way. I wouldn't put it past them, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch, everybody. We'll be back next week uh, when we'll, of course, be less than a week away from the start of the Euros. And Luke and I will talk about that 26-man squad that will be picked for England's uh, uh, England's campaign for European Championship glory. But Vish, thank you very much for stepping in for Luke today. It's been a pleasure. You've got me excited for the Euros, and I can only thank you for that. I hope we've got everybody excited. Thank you very much, everybody. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Welcome to Lions Watch, your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Vitushin Ehantaraj. Brilliant, keep that.